0: I want you to get inside of a preacher's head for just a minute because I believe that many of you are called to be preachers and some maybe even pastors and evangelists. Uh, But you know, the truth of the matter is, we preach everywhere we go, don't we? (laughs) Our life should be, the Bible says, we are living epistles read of all men. Our actions should be preaching for us. When it comes my turn to, to minister, whether it's here or somewhere else, I told Steve, I said, I start like an artist does. You know, an artist starts with a brush and a color palette and a canvas. That's it. And there's nothing on the canvas. And an artist, a good artist, will stare at that canvas for a while. And he'll look at nothing. Because he can see his picture before it even develops. And that's really what faith is all about, is being able to see something before it even develops. Substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. (laughs) And so, eventually, there's an inspiration that will hit him. And he'll take that brush, and he'll... Dunk it in one of the colors. (laughs) And it all begins with one stroke on that canvas. And eventually it will end up uh, a wonderful picture. It kind of starts that way with, I would hope with most ministers. I mean, it has to start somewhere. Usually for me, it will be just a scripture. I'll be looking in the Bible and I'll see one scripture and that's it, that is it. (laughs) There's nothing else there, one scripture. And then of course we have to go below the surface to begin to see what else is there and how does this connect? And what is the word for the hour, Lord? I wanna say never, but almost never, I mean 99.99% of the time, I will never have the the message title before I start the message. Because if I have the message title, then what I'll try to do, I know me, is I'll try to conform the whole thing to the title. And that's not the way you do it. What I'll do is I'll just put on the top of my uh, my page, Triumphant Grace Ministries Incorporated, and I'll put the date, and then right between those two, I'll put to be determined. In other words, I have no clue what the message is gonna be. And then I, I looked for the thread. I looked to see, what, what are you saying, God? What is the common, what's the thread in this whole thing? And I got about halfway into this word, and I, I was just sitting there in, in my study, and I heard Jesus, the darling of justification. You know, we sing that song. I think it comes out of Worthy is the Lamb. I'm not sure if that's the name of the song. Is, it, is that where it's at? Yeah. There's something about that line right there. There's, there's something about that lyric. When I hit that lyric, there's something inside of Well, it's the Holy Spirit, of course. I I just feel so good on the inside because he is the darling of heaven, isn't he? And so when this word came to me, the darling of justification, I wasn't even sure if that was even in the Bible. Darling is only mentioned a couple of times and it comes out of the book of Psalms. Uh, And it's really not even necessarily referenced uh, per se in what we would look at as the English text, Jesus. It just has a couple of mentions of darling. As I began to look at that, I I thought Lord, let's go deeper, let's take a look at this darling word. I wanna see, does something point to Jesus? Because when we read the Bible, when we study the Bible, we should always be looking for, does it point to Jesus? Does it point to God's love? Does it point to grace? And you know what, it always will. (laughs) As I've said before, you gotta be like that submarine, you just gotta get under the water and you're gonna find there's a whole new world uh, waiting for you. When I looked up that word darling, and you can make note of this if you want to, it is the Hebrew Strong's number, 3173, 3173. So you people that like to look in the Strong's concordance because that's when you do your word studies and whatnot, it's the Hebrew word out of the Old Testament, 3173. It is the, the word Yahid, phonetically it's spelled like Y-A-W-K-H-E-E-D, Yahid. And I thought, what does this word darling, mean? Am I gonna find Jesus? And the first thing it said was, it means beloved. I like that. It sounds like my Jesus. It says, after that, the life. Oh, that definitely sounds like my Jesus. And then it said, the only begotten Son. You would never pick that up from the English word, darling, would you? You wouldn't get all that. That's why I'm, I'm encouraging the church it's it's not always about spoon feeding, it's about when you get in your time with the Lord, it's about getting deeper into the scriptures because suddenly when I saw that, I'm like, wow, you knew exactly what you were doing when you told me Jesus, the darling of justification. Who in the world was worthy of being called? These expressions, beloved, the life, the only begotten son. You know, one of the things, I've told this story before, but one of the things I used to do with my little guys when they were young. And you can get away with it until they're about a year and a half old. When they get to be two or three, they, they're not so impressed with it. But the jack in the box, you know what I mean? You, you just crank that little crank, dee, 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 and it's got that little classic sound when it opens up, you know, and that little jack comes out of the box. My kids thought that thing was hysterical when old Jack would come out of the box, and I would just get a charge, you know, watching them get hysterical about it. Well, when I go into the Bible, I don't look for Jack in the box, I look for Jesus in the book. <laughs> that's, that's the difference. I'm looking for Jesus to pop out somewhere, and when he does, it, oh, it's, it's like the little kid seeing Jack in the Box come out, but Jesus just came out of the book. And so that's what that word Yahid stands for. It means darling, it means beloved, it, it means the life, it means the only begotten son. And when I thought about that first word, beloved, my mind drifted back to Matthew chapter 17, where Jesus is called that. There was a time when when Jesus took Peter, James, and John, and he led them, the Bible says, up a high mountain. And there the Bible says he was transfigured, his face shone like the sun, and his his raiment, his garments become like light. What a, what a, (laughs) oh man, that must have been something else. And then the Bible says, just then, there appeared Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. I want you to remember that order, Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. <laughs> and the first thing out of Peter's mouth is, Lord, it's, it's good for us to be here, isn't it? You, you want us to make some uh, tabernacles for you? You want me to set up some tents for you here? We, we're gonna camp out tonight, right? <laughs> no. And, and about that time, God just interrupted everything. The Bible says there was this cloud that enveloped them, and there was a voice that spoke out of that cloud, and here's what the voice was, and of course that was God, his Father. He said, This is my beloved son. And the amazing thing after that, he said, Listen to him. So many times we spend too much time looking for the Moses and looking for the Elijah. When I'm going to tell you something, and Moses, what he represents, Moses represented the law. He did. He was the one God gave the law to. Elijah represents the prophetic anointing, and Jesus represents grace. So when you, when you begin to look at Moses, Elijah, and Jesus, what you see is the law, there's something that's changing. We're moving through this revolution where we have this prophetic anointing, this prophetic revelation of grace. You can see it sweeping the country. Singapore going crazy with Joseph Prince. I mean, just all over the world, this message of God's grace is just catching fire. We're no longer under the law. We're no longer under that uh, dispensation. We are under the dispensation of grace. And we have been, we just haven't recognized it. See, Moses also represents good leadership. Moses was a good leader. He was a good leader. I mean, 40 years in the desert, (laughs) that's a pretty good leader. Knew exactly what to do. He represents leadership. If we're not careful, we can find ourselves just following, chasing after someone because we we perceive them as just a good leader. Listen, I'm all about good leadership. I really am. But I am not following somebody just because they're a good leader if they got the wrong message. (laughs) I'm not following them. And then it gets a little trickier because you have such a big population that's, that's running after that prophetic anointing. Listen, you've got the prophetic anointing on the inside of you, you really do. Every person in here has the ability to prophesy, every person in here has the ability to walk in that prophetic gifting. It's just a matter of believing that it's already on the inside of you and just releasing it as God speaks. So some people chase after good leadership. Some people chase after that prophetic anointing, but I'm going to tell you something. I've come by today to tell you I'm chasing after Jesus because God said, listen, don't be so concerned about the law and about good leadership or about that prophetic anointing. Be concerned about Jesus. Listen to him. He said, one of the things I, you will, you will never hear me saying because it's just not in my heart is, is to brag on me. Forget that noise. <laughs> you know, I, I remember a former overseer we had, Michael Willingham, great man of God, firehouse preacher man. He, he was telling, telling me one time that he, he went to this church and, and uh, they had a special speaker and the guy for like 20 to 30 minutes got up in front of people and told them how anointed he was. <laughs> he just went on and on and on, I'm so anointed by God. And, and Michael Willingham was, and this guy, I mean he's been preaching for a long time, He said, I just wanted to stand up and yell to him, said, sir, just start preaching, I'll let you know if you're anointed. (laughs) I'll let you know if you're anointed. We don't need to go through all that stuff. Listen, just preach God's love and God's grace and his goodness, that is anointed. (laughs) That will carry you, my friend, it really will. And then we have Peter, James, and John, and and they call them out in that order. Of course, Peter means stone, John means grace, but you got James in the middle, which comes from the Hebrew, uh, bless you, comes from the Hebrew name Jacob. Jacob, James, New Testament. It means supplanter, or it means to be replaced. Is what uh, James mean. So it literally, there's always this prophetic anointing going on in the, in the Bible. God is always wanting to keep revealing the grace man. So he said that Peter, James, and John was there. In other words, the stone was replaced by grace, and I've heard Joseph Prince talk about that as well. Then you have another uh, snapshot of Jesus, in I believe it's Matthew chapter three, at the Jordan River. He makes his way through the crowd to find a man waist deep in water named John the Baptist. He's made his way through the crowd, and they have this little dialogue, you need to baptize me, no, you need to baptize me. Finally, John consents, and he baptizes Jesus. And then the Bible says, the heavens opened up and the spirit of god descended on jesus like a dove and that voice again said this is my beloved son whom i love and i am well pleased the thing that struck me was jesus had not began his ministry jesus was a blue collar worker just like you steve he was a carpenter he and he began his ministry he, he hadn't done any miracles yet. In fact, he hadn't even did, a, did his 40-day fast yet. That would come right after the baptism. But God said to him, this is my beloved son. In this state, blue collar worker and all, this is my beloved son. In him, of whom I love, in him I am well pleased. The message in that for you and the message in that for me is we don't have to work to please God. God said, this is my beloved son. He hadn't done anything but made knickknacks yet. I mean, this is how crazy God is about you and me. God loves us. He really does. Then that word, Yahid, it not only means beloved, but it means the life. And Jesus himself, just before his crucifixion, John chapter 14, verse 6, he said to his disciples, he said, I am the way, not a way, but the way, the truth, and the life. And he said, no man comes unto the Father except they've got to come through me. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. So I see Jesus in that as well. And then the only begotten son, where you see that come up is in John chapter 1, verse 17. The only begotten son, Jesus is called the only begotten son, but the verse in front of that is John chapter 1, verse 16, of course. And it says, the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth, came through Jesus Christ. You see, to become an only begotten son, to become a son or a daughter of God, there has to be a work of grace in front of that. Do you see that? It's not put in, the, in that order just randomly. God put it there so that we could always see it's that work of grace that prepares the way for us to become sons and daughters of God. Powerful thought. The only begotten son. And then of course in John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So. When we think about Jesus, the darling of justification, it could easily be read Jesus, the beloved of justification, Jesus, the, the life of justification, Jesus, the only begotten son of justification. We're gonna talk about that justification in just a moment. So when I saw this earlier this week, I thought, Lord, that's, that's really cool, that, that Yahid word, that darling would keep pointing to Jesus. And, and of course, the way my mind works is, I wonder where that word comes up for the first time. You know how I talk about the law of first mention. I wonder, will it continually point at Jesus? Will it continually point back to my Savior? Lord, you've never disappointed me. And so I punched in that 3173 in Strong's Concordance and it took me back to Genesis chapter 22, verses one and two. Here's what it says. And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here am I. And he said, Take thy son, thy only son, Isaac. That word only right there is the word, the Hebrew word, Kiahid. There's the word again. So you can see God is always pointing to his son, and the son is always pointing to daddy. There's this love affair between daddy and son, wanting to exalt one another. He said, thine only son, and he said, he called him by name. His name is Isaac. You know what Isaac's name means? It means laughter or mocking. When you step over into the New Testament, that word mock, mocked, mocking is almost solely associated with Jesus being mocked and laughed at. He said, take your only son that they're gonna laugh at. Take your only son that they're gonna mock. <laughs> he's your only son, he's the Yahib. And then he said, whom thou lovest, and get thee to the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains. We know, are we, are we talking about Jesus here? Abraham is a picture of God in this story, Isaac is a picture of Jesus. We're, we're talking about his only beloved son, and he said, Offer him as a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I will tell thee of. I was reading something this week, many Bible scholars, I mean many, there's many of them that believe this, that Jesus was actually crucified in the very same spot on the same mountain that Abraham began to offer up his son. And that wouldn't surprise me a bit because God doesn't just pick random places. Let's see what places open this time of day. He just doesn't do that. There is always a, a thought process behind this. So it wouldn't surprise me, we can't prove that, but a lot of Bible scholars say that. Hebrews eleven seventeen. by faith, Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac, and he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son. So you can see this correlation between Abraham and Isaac and God and Jesus. This scripture I used a couple of weeks ago when I preached that message, Jesus, my peace, the effortless heartbeat of grace. Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10. Because I asked the Lord, is there additional scriptures, Lord, in the Old Testament that keep pointing to Jesus for this Yahid? And I will pour out upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace. And supplications and they shall look upon me whom they have pierced and they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son that word only is yahid it's pointing to jesus and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn friends i want to tell you something jesus is the darling of justification I felt the Lord say, set it up with that so that we're, we're looking for Jesus. We're seeing how precious Jesus is in the eyes of God. We're seeing this grace man uh, revealed in the Old Testament. That's the neat thing. Jesus was concealed in the Old Testament. He's been revealed in the New Testament. But you don't have to look very far to find him. You won't see his name, Jesus, in there. But I'm going to tell you, he's all over the place. In fact, there's not a book in the Old Testament that you won't see a type and shadow of Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 5, verses one and two, that's my text, really. Romans chapter 5, verses one and two. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we also have gained access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Romans chapter five, well, first of all, the book of Romans, all the books, when they were written, were written as a letter. This was one big letter. If you would've got a letter like that, Steve, it would've probably taken you a couple hours to read that whole letter. There's 16 chapters in Romans. But it was written as one letter. We broke it up into chapters and verses, and I'm, I'm grateful that they did, because it makes it a lot easier to find things. I, can you imagine just telling somebody, it's, oh, it's somewhere in Romans, about the middle. I mean, you'd just be looking forever for stuff. But it starts off with an interesting word, and it's the word therefore, and of course, Anytime we see words like that, we we need to go look at what was in front of that word because it's telling us, it's telling us as a result of. When it says therefore, it says, as a result of being justified by faith, we have peace with God. So I looked in Romans chapter four, the the, the verses before that. Romans chapter four, verse 13, it says this. It was not through the law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be the heir of the world, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. For if those who depend on the law are heirs, faith means nothing and the promise is worthless because the law brings wrath. And where there is no law, there is no transgression. I want you to lock that in your heart. No law, no transgression. (laughs) No law, no transgression. In other words, God never, ever, ever sees a transgression in my life because I'm not under the law. No law, no transgression. Therefore, the promise comes by faith so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed." I lock those into my treasury too. By grace, be guaranteed. (laughs) I I like guarantees, you like guarantees? Yeah, you only like them on things that break down, don't you? Well, you know what, I have a tendency, and I suppose you might too once in a while to break down as you're coursing your way through life. (laughs) You need the repair, man. I'm gonna tell you something. It's by grace and there's always a guarantee. It doesn't expire. Your, your, your warranty doesn't run out with God. Your guarantee doesn't run out with God. It's always in effect. By grace, be guaranteed. You know what? Uh, a few years ago, I began to design some T-shirts. Uh, this was one of the ones I wore it for a couple years and quit wearing it, but I thought it went with this message, Grace Through Faith, is what it says on the front, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. You know, I just had this inspiration uh, as I was driving down the road, and I was thinking about this, uh, this message of, I'm saved forever, I could never be separated from God. And the first thing that came to my mind was this right here on the back. I'm non-flammable. <laughs> I am non-flammable. What does this say? By his grace, I've been saved, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. I am non-flammable because my warranty, my guarantee will never run out. You can have that as a nightshirt, young lady. That's yours. <laughs> Amen. I'm non-flammable. You know, that just brings such delight and joy to my heart that it's not up to me to kind of keep working things out. I am guaranteed in the, in the heart of God. So we're guaranteed, and this, this guarantee, it says, is to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who have the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed the God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead <laughs> and since he was about 100 years old and Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded, fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. And then it starts to wrap it up. It says, this is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words, it was credited to him, were written not for him alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness. And you're gonna see a marriage between justification and righteousness. One releases the other for us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the death." And the last sentence before we got into that therefore in chapter five was this, he was delivered over to death, Jesus of course, he was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Therefore we can say, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm gonna make a a statement here and please, don't go to the bathroom, Don't, (laughs) don't go anywhere because It's got some shock value to it, and I I wanna make sure you get the whole story. And that is simply this, faith does not save you. Now that's got a little bit of shock value to it, doesn't it? (laughs) That sounds like (laughs) uh, heresy, doesn't it? Jesus saves you. Faith doesn't actually save you, Jesus actually saves you. Faith, what it does is allows you to apprehend the grace of God, allows you to apprehend Jesus himself because everyone in every religion has faith. Everybody's got faith. They just don't have it in the Son of God. They don't have it in Jesus. Faith itself doesn't save you. What about that shirt? It says, for by grace have you been saved through faith. That seems like a contradiction, doesn't it? For by grace have you been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works lest any man should boast. If you listen to that scripture and take it slowly, you'll catch it, for by grace, (laughs) <laughs> are you saved? Just stop right there. It's for by grace that we've been saved. It comes through faith, but it's grace that saved. And another way to say that is just simply by saying, for by Jesus are you saved. Through faith and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. And I felt the Lord say, you know, faith is like an antenna on your house. You know, the antenna doesn't really produce the images, it just retransmits it. It's a conduit. You know, it it doesn't actually make the movie. It just transmits what's already there, and that's what faith does. Grace is in the atmosphere, grace is in Jesus, and simply when that antenna transmits it into your soul, and that's just simply your will, I wanna tell you something, you're born again. It's the gift of God. Here's what I felt the Lord say in terms of justification. If my daddy was to uh, wire me, like through the Western Union or something like that, a million dollars, Well, I'd be a, I, guess a, I guess you could call me a rich man, right? If he was to wire me a million dollars, how foolish would it be for me to go down and think that the Western Union made me rich? The Western Union didn't make me rich. My daddy made me rich. Daddy did all this. So sometimes we, we start giving credit to places where it's not due. In fact, the money didn't even make you rich. My daddy is the one who made me rich because you could take that same million dollars, give it to a million different people, and nobody's rich. It's not the money that made me rich. My daddy, my daddy, my daddy made me rich. And and even as this morning as I was meditating upon the goodness of my daddy, I hope you don't get offended when I call him daddy. <laughs> That's just the way I pray. You know, I don't get, oh, father in heaven. <laughs> I mean, I'll say Father sometime, but, you know, when I pray and I get down on my face and, and, and on the pillows and just start worshiping and loving, I, might, I call him Daddy, I call him Papa, I call him Abba, I, I just I, I just call him, I just love her, I mean, that's who he is to me. So I hope you don't get offended by me saying Daddy, but it's Daddy, and as I was meditating on his goodness this morning, I just felt myself getting richer and richer and of course I'm not talking about in money I could care less about that but I'm talking about richer and richer in my understanding of how good my daddy is and as I was thinking about how good my how full of grace my Jesus is I just felt like I got richer and sweeter and fuller and deeper in his revelation of his goodness and his grace and as I thought about how important it is to establish our hearts in his love because as we establish our hearts in his love is you know, as adults or even as children, I want to tell you something. It's that right there that establishes us in the righteousness of God, and so that we we can be so bold. I mean, can you look in the in the mirror and just say, "I am" without blinking. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I do that from time to time. Just remind. I mean, I'll do it. I just say, "Listen, Mark, you are the righteousness of God." in Christ, there's nothing you could ever do to make him mad, nothing you could ever do to make him leave you, and guess what, I don't wanna do anything to make him mad or make him leave me, because it won't happen, first of all, but it doesn't make me wanna do that. My daddy has made me rich, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse nine, for you know that the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that although he was rich, for your sake he became poor, in order that you, by his poverty, may become rich. Jesus became poor, I became rich. What a divine exchange when you think about that. That he became poor so I could become rich, oh my my. He was rejected, I was accepted. You know, in 2 Corinthians 5.21, the Bible says, for he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. He became sin? We became righteous. That doesn't seem fair, really, does it? I mean, that Jesus would become sin for us so that we could become the righteousness of God? Friends, I'm gonna tell you something, if there was any other way to get the job done, he'd have found it. We overlook stuff. There are shortcuts for us. There was no shortcut. It cost the dear blood of his son, Jesus Christ, to make us righteous. He went to hell, we get to go to heaven. He died, the Bible says, and that he died for all, that they which live should henceforth no longer live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them, and rose again. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15. He was forsaken, we were forgiven. So, the question that came to my mind, why is it so vitally important for a believer to understand justification? The enemy's favorite tool is to assault believers with condemnation. That's really the only trick he's got. Because if you don't have any condemnation upon you, I'm gonna tell you something, it's the condemnation that messes with us. Everything is birthed out of condemnation, fear, stress, just everything, jealousy, everything is birthed out of condemnation. If you walk a condemnation-free life, I'm gonna tell you something, you're gonna really get this message of justification and nothing can dissuade you from the truth, nothing can change your mind. The very crud that justification delivered us from is what the enemy wants to heat back on us, through stuff like, uh, you know, you knew better than that. Why did you do that? You're a failure, you'll never, you'll never measure up. He, he just whispers all kinds of different things. He knows our little hot buttons and he knows how to whisper things. You just gotta get to the point where you say, listen, that doesn't bother me because I've already checked the word. He was, he was made sin for me who knew no sin that I could be made. I'm not becoming, I am made. You know, it's like when you're baking a cake. Oh, the cake is baking? No, the cake is baked. Okay, there's two different things. One's in the oven, one's not in the oven. I'm made, I'm baked. Somebody might say I'm half-baked, but I'm baked. <laughs> when a believer captures the revelation of Jesus, the darling, he's the darling behind justification, I want to tell you something, the fight is over. I want you to, if that's the only thing you get here today, when you get that revelation, he's the one behind that justification. He's the darling behind it. The fight will be over. And you know what a fight I'm talking about. I'm talking about that, that inner struggle that Paul talked about in Romans chapter 7. The fight's over with. When the unbroken, unwavering, unmatchable, unsearchable grace of God begins to reign in our life, I'm going to tell you something. Grace will absolutely crush condemnation. It will just annihilate condemnation. You see, when grace begins to flow in us and justification and righteousness, it will also begin to flow out of us and everybody will see the glory of God. You know, that's a that's what our, our life should be about, is that everybody would see the glory of God. And they they sometimes they just see it without a word, sometimes they, they, they hear it in what you're saying, but we should all be atmosphere changers. When we walk in a room, I'm gonna tell you something, that room, that atmosphere should change. We're not cowards hiding back in the corner, we've got a light, we're not under a bushel anymore. We want the whole world to see the light, not our light, but the light of the world. That's Jesus Christ, and he says, you're the light of the world. Well, we're the light of the world because the candle's on the inside of us. That's, (laughs) it's not our own light. We didn't light our own light. John chapter one, verse 14, 16 and 17. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace In place of grace. And some versions say grace upon grace. Grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Here's the case I want to build. God's grace is not an intellectual theory or an intangible object. God's grace is a person. His name is Jesus Christ. And he is the very personification of grace in the the Father's heart. He really is. In Romans chapter five one, we just read that we're justified by faith, Romans five one. Romans chapter five, verse nine says, we're justified by his blood. A little bit of a change here, a little bit of faith and now blood. In Romans chapter three, verse 24, it says we're justified by grace. <laughs> it's faith and blood and grace. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter six, verse 11, it says we're justified by his name, by the name of the Lord. So I, as I began to look at that this week, I'm like, Lord, which one, you know, I'm, you know, I'm being a little facetious here, but I'm like, which one is it? You know, it's, it's a rhetorical question. And he's like, it's all of them. It's, it's my faith. It's my blood. It's my grace. It's my name. It, it's one and the same. They're not separate. We're justified by, can you see, they all keep pointing to Jesus. It's Jesus that justifies us. Amen. We're talking about justification by faith and by the blood. And by his name and through grace, it keeps pointing me to Jesus, the darling of my justification. He is the Yahid. He is the the darling behind my justification, the beloved, the only begotten son. In Galatians chapter two, verse 16, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. You know, it doesn't even say faith in Jesus Christ. It says the faith of Christ. You know, you can't even take credit for faith. (laughs) You didn't buy it, you didn't earn it. God gave it to you. He said we're, we're justified by the faith of Jesus Christ, even when we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ, and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, watch this now, by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. By the works of the law, but in other words, by your own effort, no works, no works of the law shall be justified by flesh. About uh, 10 or 11 years ago, we were at a friend's house having a birthday party. We, there were a bunch of us in one room and his uh, teenage son walked in, had his teenage girlfriend with him. They, they came and stood by me and I found out she was a pastor's daughter. And I said, uh, we got talking for a little bit and I said, uh, are you saved? You, you know, there's, there's some pastor's daughters that are not saved, you know what I mean? I said, are you saved? And she said, uh, what do you mean? I said, are you born again? And she said, oh yeah. I said, tell me about it. She said, I keep the Ten Commandments. I said, really, name one. She said, thou shalt not commit adultery. I said, you're 10% saved, name another one. She said, well, thou shalt not lie. I said, you're 20% saved, name another one. She said, well, thou shalt not steal. I said, you're 30% saved, name another one. Thou shalt not covet. You're 40% saved, name another one. You shall have no other gods before you. She was kind of searching for that one. I said, you're 50% saved. Name another one. She said, I can't. I said, young lady, by your own testimony and by your own plan of salvation, you are lost and without God in this world. Nobody has ever been justified by the law. So, you know, what that does is that, that breaks the condemnation off of, of performance, because that's what the law was always about. It was about measuring up. It was about performing. It was about the blessings come on me when I'm good. The curses come on me when I'm bad, so I'm going to try to avoid being bad. And the more I try to be, avoid being bad, I'm worse. You are not justified by the Ten Commandments. Oh, my goodness, you, you can't be good enough. Romans chapter 12, verse 3, for I say through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. I told you, God. it came from God. Says it right there, God measured it, didn't he? Measure of faith. What is justification? Let's transition here for a second. What is justification? Justification uh, is, uh, out of the uh, Greek comes uh, from the verb, 1344 it's pronounced dekaiao dekaiao here's what it means it means to declare or pronounce a person as just innocent faultless guiltless and righteous wow what a list that's an amazing list i've said this before but it's the legal process of releasing righteousness you see god did not Save us because of pity. He didn't save us because of mercy. He didn't even save us because of his love. There had to be a payment. In other words, he couldn't just say, yeah, "I really love, I really love those guys. Let's just save them all. Let's just turn our back on this and just pretend like we didn't see it." Boy, when I was in retail and I would see people shoplifting, I'm like, "Oh, God, now I got to go wrestle them to the ground." You know, I mean, sometimes it's even people you know. I mean, it's so embarrassing. But it's like if you're going to be a good steward of, of the store you work for, you just can't go, I didn't see you put that in your pocket. And, you know, I had to stand in front of people sometimes and just say, do you have anything in your pockets you didn't pay for? The answer is always the same. No? No? You mind letting me see what's in your pockets? Why you want to look in my pockets? Why does it matter if you don't have anything in there It doesn't belong to you? But my point is, is you, you can't just turn your back on injustice. So there, God, in his mercy and his love, and, his, and, and he just couldn't say, I didn't see that. There had to be payment for that. I heard a minister say the other day, he was preaching about something totally different. But he, he made this statement, and it was like a buzzword in my heart. He said, you can tell how big the problem is by what it took to fix it. (gasps) Oh, that's so true. When we look at at how enormous sin must have been, and as we get deeper into Romans chapter five in the coming weeks, we'll we'll see that. But if one sin from Adam injected sin in the whole human bloodstream, in the DNA, that must really be bad. (laughs) So what in the world can expunge that, wipe that out, remove it, delete it? What can do it? Only the blood. Only the grace. Only the faith. Only that name of Jesus Christ can do it, and he's done it to anybody that will reach out to him. In Hebrews chapter 10, verses 16 and 17, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds will I write them. I love how this... Verse ends, it says, and their sins and iniquities, or in some cases it says, their sins and their lawless deeds, I will remember no more. Every time I, I hear someone preaching that, that message, I, I hear Joseph Prince saying, there's been a change. There's been a change, church. And it's all because of Jesus. That's the scripture he uses that his our lawless deeds. He says, I will remember them no more. I can't remember them. Why in the world do we wanna remember them? My wife uh, preached a, a, a really good message about three weeks ago. It was called Justification, Grace Through Justice, I believe is the name of it. Yeah, Justification, Grace Through Justice. Wow. In that message, she made a point. She said, You're not a clean sinner, and you're not a dirty saint. we got to look at ourselves differently. I'm not a clean sinner. My nature's been changed, I have Jesus' nature now, you have Jesus' nature now, you've got Jesus' nature now. We're not a clean sinner, we're not a dirty saint. We have the righteousness of God on the inside of us. And then I felt the Lord say, I said, Lord, I I want an illustration that can drive home this, this justification so that we really get it. Because justification is, like I said, is like a buzzword as much as like hard drive is a buzzword to computers. We hear the word, but we really just don't quite get it. We just don't quite get it. And here's what the Lord dropped in my heart. I want you to think for a second here about organic food. Organic food. (laughs) And then you have non-organic. It's either organic or non-organic, right? The stuff that's not organic has had pesticides, herbicides, insecticides, and fungicides. It's been genetically modified. That's what your food looks like. (laughs) Welcome to McDonald's. (laughs) And so... Pretty bad stuff, when you start putting all that stuff on there. Or the word organic literally means life. We think about organic, we think, okay, it doesn't have all those pesticides and stuff like that on there. And it doesn't, it's not been genetically modified. That's the way we look at it. Sometimes if we're not careful, that's the way we look at our sin. We just think, okay, God, he just forgave me of my sins. No, he did more than that, so much more than that. He put righteousness on the inside of you. And here's the point I wanna make with organic food. This is true, you can go look it up if you want to. Organic food has 52 additional minerals and vitamins in it that you cannot find in non-organic food. So it's not that we're just avoiding the junk. It's not that we've just been released from our sin. We've got all the life. We've got the beloved living on the inside. We've got the life of Christ. We've got the only begotten son. And with him, he brings all those spiritual nutrients to to raise us up. Do Do you get that picture? That's what justification is. That is a picture of justification. Your sins have not just been removed. Righteousness has come in. Justification made the way to release the righteousness of God. Well, I don't know about you, but I'm getting happy on the inside. I felt the Lord say to me, So many people, they see themselves as kind of an old, broken-down Ford Pinto. That's one extreme. Or let's step over here to one of the most luxurious cars being built, and that's the Bentley. That's the Rolls-Royce. Pinto? Rolls-Royce. Rolls-Royce, you you can almost hear the righteousness coming. (laughs) Rolls-Royce. Rolls-Royce. Pinto? I mean, what could come out of pinto? A horse? I mean, Rolls Royce, righteousness. I see myself as the Rolls Royce. Because that's the way Jesus sees me. That's the way he sees you. He sees you as the, his royal diadem. He sees you as totally righteous. You've been totally justified. And so when that thought popped in my mind this week, Rolls Royce. I have no idea when that car company started, but I just felt the Lord say, you're like a Rolls Royce if if I compared you to a car. You're the top of the line. There's nothing better than you. You're comfortable. You're elite. So I typed in Rolls Royce on my computer. What year did Rolls Royce make their first car? You can Google anything, right? 1906. I didn't know they went back that far. I find it very interesting that the Azusa Street Revival was birthed the same year. I find it awful interesting that the outpouring of the Holy Spirit was the exact same year. In fact, they were a month apart when the car rolled off the line. That's not my point. My point is justification, when you understand justification, that this organic God, this God full of life lives on the inside of you. I'm not a broken down Ford Pinto anymore. I'm a a Rolls Royce, I'm a Bentley. And then I read a story of a man that owned a Rolls Royce and he lived in England, this was years ago, and he was going to take a trip over deeper into Europe and he came across the channel and he, he was going to be there for a while, so he, he brought his Rolls Royce with him on the, on the ferry and he was driving it around, driving it around and the Rolls Royce broke down. Something happened to the motor. He didn't know what to do. I mean, that's not supposed to happen with a Rolls Royce, is it? That's not supposed to break down. <laughs> So he called up Rolls Royce and he told him what his situation was, where he was at. You know what Rolls Royce did? They flew a mechanic from England over deeper into Europe there. They found out where he was at. They fixed his car and basically said goodbye. He was thinking, wow, I'm very grateful that you just did that for me. I know they're going to send me a bill, it's going to be enormous. I've mean, I got to pay for the jet fare, i got to pay for the mechanic. Oh, that's going to be enormous. So when he got back to England, he got out of his stationery and he wrote to Rolls Royce thanking them for what they had done for him. And he said, by the way, I I want to pay my bill now, but he didn't leave me with one. I want to pay my bill. Could you please let me know how much it is? And they wrote him back a letter and they said, we have checked our files over and over again. We find no record of you ever being broke down and being serviced. That's a powerful thought. I'm going to tell you something. God has checked the records over and over and over and over again. And because of justification and because of righteousness, guess what? There's no record. You can go to the file. Even when we try to dig things up, God, you like, you sure there's not something in my file? No, there's no file. You say, Mark, how do you know that? I know God. Let me, let me, let me close it with this thought. In uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we call that the love chapter. And it talks about what love doesn't look like at first. And what love does look like. And it says love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not boast. Love is not rude. Love is not self-seeking. And I love the next one. Love keeps no records of wrong. It keeps no records. Love. What about this love? 1 John chapter 4, verse 8 talks about this love. It says, it says, God is love. God doesn't just have love. God is love. He has no choice but to love us. He is love. God is love. And if love keeps no record of wrongs, another way to say that is: God keeps no records of wrongs. There's nothing in the file. You want to know why? Jesus. The darling of our justification. <laughs> He's the darling of our justification. He's the darling of our justification. Wow. I don't know what that does for you, but it does a lot for me. It goes a long way through my week when the world is trying to beat on you. And I'm justified. Like my wife said, just if I'd never sinned, there's nothing in my file. There's nothing in your file. There's nothing in your file. (laughs) He paid it all. Father, we thank you for your goodness today and your love for us the Lord today, Jesus. We thank you that we treasure this wonderful truth that Jesus is the darling of our justification. Father, we don't have to fear. We don't have to be stressed out. We don't have to worry. (laughs) And we don't certainly have to carry around condemnation. Today, we cast all of our cares upon Jesus we cast all of our cares upon the man of faith and the man of grace and the man who shed his blood and we cast all of our, our issues and our, and our concerns upon that name that you declared is above every name. Father, I speak goodness and grace over your people. Let them receive this word and let them propagate this word as they go. Let them take this word and share it with others that we have been justified. My daddy has made me rich. Thank you, daddy. In Jesus' name, amen. You receive that word today? Amen. amen.